This is the Self-Preservation 4 panel. Welcome to the Art of Growth, where we use the Enneagram and the best tools we can find to help you transform. We hope you've been enjoying this season on the subtypes. If you're just jumping in, you're going to want to hear some of the introductory episodes where we discuss the instincts a little bit on our perspective and what we're doing over the season as we're doing 27 panels. Although there is a lot of similarity between the types, there is also a lot of differences and nuances when you get into the instincts. And we are learning so much about how the actual instinctual sequence impacts the type and how it shows up differently and why the stereotypes and the memes just don't work because of that. And so we are so glad to get to go deep on this season and thank you so much for journeying with us through that. This week are the panels with the type fours and these type fours will be discussing their relationship to each of their instincts and their instinctual stack. Before we jump into that, you can take our free instincts test to see your instinctual sequence on our website, www.theartofgrowth.org. You can also take our Enneagram test there, as well as connect with us about all of our work from group coaching to individual coaching to working with companies, which is really amazing because more and more companies are seeing the value, the return of investment on investing in the emotional intelligence of their organization so it flows more seamlessly. I woke up this week thinking about how much better it would have been if I would have had this knowledge much earlier in my career. Not only would it have saved a lot of emotional struggles and relational conflict, but it would have also made those work relationships so much more efficient and effective. So reach out to us if we can help your organization with that. Wanted to put on your radar that we are going to have a live Q&A event around the instincts at the end of these 27 panels. So make sure you are subscribed to the newsletter to find out when that is to be able to get tickets. So we look forward to hearing from you. But for now, my friends, we are going to launch into our week with our Type 4 panelists. And today is the Self-Preservation 4 panel. Let's go ahead and jump in with them and learn from them about how they relate to their instinctual sequence and how they relate to the different instincts. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, to the Self-Preservation for panel, I am so excited to have all of you here with us today. What happens when the instinct and the type meet? It creates the subtype, which is why even within the type four, there's such a wide range between the self-preservation four and the sexual four and the social four. And so this is what we're looking forward to learning more about is how does that instinct work within you? So as we begin, I'd love to uh, have you introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from, who you are, and uh, and then we'll get rolling. Uh, my name is Caitlin, and I live on the coast of Maine. I'm Danielle. I grew up in New England and Massachusetts, but I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And I am Hans. I'm from uh, Berlin in Germany. Hi. I'm Sarah, and I'm calling in from central New Jersey. Wonderful. Well, as we begin, uh, the first question is to address this need for feeling the desire to, to feel meaningful, significant, uh, to try to meet this sort of uh, need for finding the completeness, the missing part. What is missing within me? What's missing within the world? And how that interacts with the three aspects of the self-preservation instinct. And the first one we want to look at is health and wellness. So talk to me about how the sort of coordinate of the four 
uh, how it interplays, how it works itself through uh, this dimension of the self-preservation instinct. So let's begin with health and wellness. I mean, first of all, I, I was struggling a little bit to find the forishness in it. Like, I mean, I resonate immediately. I mean, I have no doubt about being a self-pressed dominant individual. <laughs> so for me, it's all about like, am I physically okay? Light, temperature, sounds, comfortable surroundings, food, getting enough sleep. These things are always like the first on my mind. And if I would say, what is the maybe the fourish aspect in that. I think I tend to look for what is missing so that I can be physically okay. <laughs> there is some, I'd say, maybe you could say eccentric behaviors around it, like that I need to kind of have my bubble and I carry it around with me too. Like, let's say, um, always earplugs and uh, my own pillow when I go somewhere else. And... Um, just so that I can control my uh, my surroundings somehow. And even when I am invited to other people's uh, places, often when uh, they go to the bathroom or something, I might catch myself <laughs> like regulating the heating a bit or maybe spitting off a light or lowering <laughs> the volume of uh, the music or something. So uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, controlling uh, the, the physical space. I think this is something I've become so much more aware of during this pandemic year than ever before, because I don't know that I really thought that much about the health and well-being preferences. I feel like I was busy with my work and I have two small children and every day was different. And, and there's been in pandemic times, a little more spaciousness to have rituals. And, um, and I'm finding that really really calming. And maybe it's something about recognizing more about Enneagram and instincts and all of that. But I, I definitely find a lot of grounding in rituals. I don't always get to do them, but I've, I've really come to love trying to get up before everyone and meditate and do some morning pages and have some space at night. So it's, it's, I think it's a, a process of discovering and being mindful of what does help me move through the world with just more ease and um, definitely things that I want to take with me out of this time. I think that I've, there's some silver linings of this time that I've learned about myself. Mm. You said um, sense of calm. And then you said moving through the world with ease. Those totally resonate with me. And I totally relate to that sense of wellness as like a, a venue to balance and feeling like the movement that I do, the exercise that I do is very much about, I think my mental health more than anything, you know, any like hardcore protocols of exercise or fitness, I have never been able to get into at all, but anything that's, you know, dance related or yoga or movement, something rhythmic and has, you know, fun music involved or something like that. And now in this year, working out at home, I've found a lot of things at home that I love to do that, you know, you try things that you wouldn't necessarily try going to the gym, just more access to a million different things. And I would say that is definitely my focus with this portion of the self-preservation is that I use movement and nutrition and kind of how I take care of my body definitely as the, as a means to the end of feeling complete and regulated and calm and able to kind of show up and do what I want to do in a healthy headspace. Mm. 
that sounds really healthy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's new. That's very new in my, in my really, life. <laughs> uh, balanced. And this was the question that I was hoping wouldn't get asked first because it's actually the one that really uh, struck me. And I thought, Oh God, you know what, how am I going to answer this question? Because it's, it's what I struggle with the most. Uh, Hans, I really to what you say about like being prepared and bringing your earplugs. I've always had the granola bar in my purse and like, I'm that person that has, you know, you need Motrin, you need, <laughs> you know, that type of thing, which I've on the past uh, episodes with the self presses, I've seen that that's a very common thing that we're the mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. Of, prepared. Yeah. Thinking ahead and stuff. But um, once I actually started having things go wrong with my health that were really shocking to me, it became this weird balance of being a four and wanting to be unique, but then you have these kind of unique things happening to you. And that fear of when I express that to people or talk about something that's going wrong, that am I just being a crybaby or am I just being overly dramatic, is this going to be perceived as Caitlin just being Caitlin and not mm. an actual, like, you know, diagnosable issue that's going on? I experienced a, a pregnancy loss and that kind of really shook the foundation of um, it fed into a belief that I suspected that maybe life is a little harder for me than it is for other people. And then when that happened, it in a negative way, kind of, it felt like it was confirming it, even though I know that that's a narrative and it's not the truth. Like we all have our things right. That go wrong. And so uh, I remember like my doctor telling me, you know, this is really common, even though at the time, like none of my friends had this happened to, it was not something that was talked about. And she assured me that it's really rare for this to happen again. You have like a 2% chance of this happening consecutively. And then I went on to have a second miscarriage, right? So that then finding yourself in that tiny percentage of people is, it's really hard as a four because is we're the counter type, right? The self, the self press four is the counter type. And so I don't want to be dramatic. I don't want to be seen as this really bohemian, emotional, you know, person that's not attractive to me. That's not something I want to be perceived as, even though I'm sure um, all my friends listening to this are going to be like, you know, that I am. But um, so bringing it back to that health focus, uh, after that, I got diagnosed with endometriosis, which is also like a one in 10 uh, out of women have that. So it's like being continually grouped into these tiny categories has just been really challenging because I think there's that urge to fight against that unhealthy obsession with being unique, being special and feeding into that with the reality of the situation that this is something that not everybody is dealing with and not all my friends are dealing with. So I've found that a really challenging balance, I guess is what Mm. I was trying to say, um, of being truthful and open without being seen as dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Boy, you, you covered a lot of territory. I know. And I'm so sorry. No, no, no. No, no, thank you. Like, that's that's yeah. really remarkably helpful. And all of these I'd love to dive in deeply into, but I'm going to restrain myself because this is a podcast. So, but <laughs> you're bringing up a lot of great things that I think are very important. And I'm seeing some head nodding here. So, before I jump in and comment, what's going on for the rest of you? 
That thing of, that you said, you not wanting to be seen as a crybaby, you said. I mean, I totally resonate with that. And I think it seems to be a common theme with self-press force. This thing of like, I'm not fragile. I'm not needy. Uh, I'm not dramatic. Uh, I, I can do it. Uh, I'm self-sufficient. I can carry the load. Like it's, this is always the image that I even have in front of myself and definitely want to project to the outside world too. Um, I even remember even from childhood that uh, when I got, I cried a lot, but I would normally cry like hiding in my room to get kind of the, the, somehow be applauded or recognized for like toughing it out and not complaining mm. and this, mm. but secretly I would hope that my mother would notice like, you know? <laughs> so I did want to, yeah. to be seen in that, but so I totally resonate with that. I also really resonated with the, with the point you brought up about being a counter type and how, and that's what kind of goes back to a lot of what I said about when I think about wellness, you automatically think about fitness but as a four, as a self-pres four, I linked it to mental health because that's really, that's something that throughout life has been a difficulty that I've not probably wanted to express like some other fours would express mm-hmm. or just people in general. And that's been a huge driving motivator for growth, for personal growth, for kind of the way that I go about mental wellness is because I'm really motivated to to not be, like you said, not be the overly dramatic or overly sensitive and kind of that feedback that maybe we've gotten in the past, or that's a tricky part of this particular combination, I think, for this instinct with our type mm-hmm. is that we want to appear differently than maybe we feel. So yeah, that's a we good all one. kind of find different ways to, to deal with that. Yes, that definitely resonates. I It doesn't bother me at all in other people if they're effusive or dramatic or emotional about things, but I don't prefer to take up space that way myself or process things that way publicly. But I, also the wellness part that you were speaking about, Danielle, of, of physical movement being more for mental health. I completely relate to that because I have no competitive vibe in me in terms of like athleticism or anything, but I I do feel like it definitely helps with sort of mental and emotional health and also reminds me that it's possible to, to move out of whatever emotional state I am, that by moving my body, I can get out of sort of repetitive states of worry or anxiety or over ruminating about things. So I I really appreciate what you said about that. Mm. Boy, I mean, all of you are doing really amazing job at explaining what's happening with the self-preservation instinct and the four and how they, they're actually clashing at this point because the four has this need for, you know, to feel the emotions, but to also connect to people. There's also this guarding kind of protective, like, I don't know that it's safe to open up. And if I open up, then I, I don't want to come off as dramatic as needy. It's also a feature of the self-preservation for it. It's I want to suck it up. I want to be strong and seen as strong, seen as somebody who can carry, you know, carry my own weight, you know? And so that, that plays a role in that. The other piece I want to, I want to highlight is this area of self-preservation does not mean self-care. And so sometimes this gets confused with like health and wellness. Well, does that mean self-care? Well, at its best, yes, that's what the instinct is for. It's there to, to guide us. But for when it meets the, meets the type, then something happens and you're a heart-centered type, not a body-centered type. So, 
for you, there's going to be this sort of, again, back to the heart, back to the, to the head. And how does that self-preservation serve that realm? You know, not just, not really the physical realm all the time. Although there are plenty of self-presfors who do hit the gym and love to exercise and they express themselves that way. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't have to. And so there's that piece. And then the resistance towards mundanity as a four that's going to run into this whole thing of like rhythms and consistencies. And, and so that's also a part of what you're describing, which can be difficult to maintain and to kind of get into that routine and rhythm of self-care because of this. So yeah, really good start to this uh, panel here. Let's look at the next, next aspect, which has to do with resources and the management of those resources. So having enough uh, whether it's food or money or, you know, clothing, energy, that sort of thing, like managing your resources and acquiring it, taking care of it, making sure you have enough. How does that play itself out in, in you as a four? To me, there is, I have a, uh, have a conflict about that or a paradox always. I mean, it's this thing of that I don't feel to be or don't want to be seen as somebody who cares a lot about material uh, security it's that's in my mind is more for the <laughs> for the mundane people <laughs> out there <laughs> you know uh, um, so i don't i don't <laughs> like that as part of my self image but um it does happen. Like, I mean, I definitely, I, I never depend on other people. So I always make sure like I am responsible to have my needs met. So, and that goes into the resources too. But even if I think about food, for example, now in all this pandemic situation, I am not stocking up food. I never did before. And I didn't start now. I always need to have breakfast. That's like sacred to me that I need to have breakfast for the next day in the house. <laughs> but I think this really depends. It's so contextual also of the time and the place on earth we live in. I mean, for example, I live in Germany. I never had, had to uh, be hungry. We have a very uh, tight uh, social welfare system. I know that even if I would lose my family, my friends, my job, I would still have enough food. I would have medical care. I would have. I would li- uh, lose my house, uh, my, my apartment. So I think maybe in other time and space, like I would uh, have more, definitely would have more attention going that way. Mm. But I don't really have um, have to give too much attention to it. I relate a lot to the practical know-how of this particular piece that has been consistent. Like I've always had a lot of pride in knowing that I can either do anything I need to do or figure out how to do anything that I need to do. I'm thinking, and I just have to share this funny story because it's the example that's coming to mind. But I years ago had just had a breakup right at Christmas time. And I grew up always going to get a live tree from the tree lot. And then I moved to the South where everybody has artificial trees that they bring out every year. But I was living here and I had a breakup and I was like, dang it. Like I'm getting that Christmas tree. I am getting a Christmas tree. My family is not here. I have nobody to help me, but I am getting that Christmas tree. And I drove myself to the tree lot and picked out a tree. And I, of course, the gentleman there helped me get it on my car roof and I drove that sucker home and pulled it up two flights of stairs to my apartment and set up that Christmas tree and it makes me laugh to think about it because it was like slash you know practical know-how but slash temper tantrum I think um (laughs) 
<laughs> but I had a Christmas tree and it was crooked in the stand. And then I did, I had a friend who came and helped me hold it so I could adjust the stand and it wouldn't be crooked anymore. But anyways, that self-reliance of knowing that if something goes wrong, whether it's with my car or um, something in the house, you know, a shelf needs to be moved, like those kinds of things I have always taken pride in being able to do. Mm. I don't think uh, resources for me doesn't show up too much differently than a lot of the other types of with the self-preservation. It's pretty that standard um, that I, I like to have two of something. Like if it's my favorite, you know, box of cereal, I like to have one that's unopened under the, you know, ready to go that I know is there. Um, just like little things like that. I like having some extra paper towels, extra toilet paper, that kind of thing. But it's just in line with that preparedness. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if there's something that I know that I'm going to need that's going to help make my day calmer and stuff, like especially like that, going back to that earplug thing again, Hans, that really <laughs> resonated because it, it has to do with something that's, you you need it for your own personal being able to be okay in the, in the world. And so maybe other more superfluous items I wouldn't care as much about, but I'm, I'm really big on breakfast as well. So it's like, I, you know, I have to have oats or whatever it is that, that type of thing, but otherwise I, I don't, yeah, nothing too unique. I don't think for anyone who has self-pres. This is so fascinating because I feel like I'm a chronically unprepared person who doesn't really think about it. This all sounds so good. Like I would be so much happier if I would just like remember to bring a granola bar with me. I, I would be voted like least likely in my family to, to be prepared that way. But now I'm curious as I'm thinking about this, like about that kind of counter type thing, because I find it enormously fun and sort of energizing and clarifying really to, to set some kind of big ambitious goal and then have the practical know-how to figure out how to get there or how to get a team of people to arrive at a, at a destination together. Or I love to travel to places I've never been and just have to figure it out. And I wonder, I don't know, I'm thinking out loud here, but if that has something to do with, with that counter type thing of wanting to reach towards something really really meaningful and sublime in a way and interesting and different. And then also the practicality of like, okay, how do we, how do we do it or get there? But, but I don't feel, I don't feel a lot of ties to thinking about resources. Although now that I think about it, like, I think I am calmer and happier when I do remember to have rituals and know where (laughs) things are, (laughs) you know, like those things are all good. And, and yet I, I fight them too. I feel a sort of tension between them there's a piece around having those resources, but then there's also the other flip side of that as far as not worrying as much about having them, but the capacity to obtain them. And does it show up more for you like that than, than in the other way? Like I know where I can go to get that. I know how to obtain those things. Should I need them at any given point in time? Yes, that, 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 that does make sense. Or even continuing to put myself in increasingly more challenging situations where I have to then figure that out would would be true for my life thus far. So do you do you enjoy the process of trying to figure out um, how to solve that problem? 
that is such a do I enjoy? I don't know. I feel addicted to it. I, it's what I end up doing. I don't know if I enjoy it or okay. not. No, I do. I do. I enjoy it more when it's within some sort of parameters though, that I can probably that I can control. Um, so like I work as an artist, so art is great for that, right? Because I can say, okay, these are the deadlines. This is the opening night. These are the resources. Now let me like play within that to create something that feels really fulfilling and also practical in its execution. Mm. And do you know where your stuff is? Should you need it? No, <laughs> no I do. If, if it's the stuff I'm prioritizing, absolutely. It's elective. If it's stuff I'm really passionate about, I do. And then there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I don't know. Well, somebody else will figure that out. I'm not going to pay much attention to that. I'm relating a lot to that. And I'm remembering some things I've been reading recently about the self-press for, and, or maybe just the four in general, but kind of our nature of like sabotaging ourselves. And that plays out a lot for me, Sarah, with a lot of what you're saying. And I'm just sitting here laughing with, yes, having those big, lofty, fantastic, beautiful ideas, and then really working really hard to achieve them because of things like being a little maybe disorganized or forgetting things or being late to things accidentally or chronically, which feels very much not aligned with this self-preservation that shows up in other ways, like with being resourceful and routined and organized. So I think it's a complexity of, of the four for sure. That's really interesting. I think I was just telling a colleague the other day, I said, if there was a, would you rather, like, would you rather go ask for, you know, a major gift to support this initiative or spend 30 minutes actually going through last month's receipts and just, you know, putting them in order. Like, I'd be like, I'd so much rather go ask for a lot of money than have to deal with receipts. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, like I really struggle with the, I, I guess that's, yeah, exactly. We need the excitement of the disorganization. It's like a thrill to conquer it. Well, this is helpful. And the reason why we're pressing in is because even for you, as you're reflecting on the aspect of both health and wellness and also now resource management, is in what ways is it showing up? Because if you just look at the instinct itself, then you might say, geez, I don't know. But as you press in more deeply to think about how does it show up in your life, you're going to see it does show up differently. And it shows up uniquely because it's got to be within the type four. So the type four does have this need for doing something often different than what was done before or have some kind of, you know, sometimes meaning can be added to even brushing your teeth. Like I have to have a meaningful experience even in brushing my teeth, which is like, you know, otherwise it's just really difficult to maintain that consistency in doing something as simple and mundane as that. And so that is going to show up that way. In other words, it doesn't mean you don't have that instinct simply because it shows up differently within and through you as a four. So Let's move to the third, which is this idea of the home, the nest, the place that is a sort of sanctuary, a place for your expression of your own um, sort of desire for beauty or desire for uh, some kind of safety or comfort in that space. Talk to me about how that plays itself out for you as a four. For me, it's all, I mean, it's all about minimalism. I mean, I... It's kind of paradoxical. I like to have as few needs as possible so that I can make sure to meet them. You know? mm. so, 
So I don't need big things. Um, that's why I said with like just lighting, sounds, comfortable textures, that's enough. And I know I can easily access that. If I would get like big expansive things, it would, would be all too much trouble and I could lose it. And, you know, I, I like to keep things minimal. And the home really for me is the sacred space. Like I often even perceive it almost like in an animal-like way like i sometimes look at myself like a little squirrel that really <laughs> crawls into its cave and brings the goodies home and i have so much pleasure from that like if i have a stressful day and i just retreat into my little cave and it, it feels like a cave to me mm. i also don't like too much light <laughs> so and it's just i i really i get real pleasure from it just to be in my own space it was for me to have my own space was always super important to me just this cave where i can retreat and recharge I remember as a kid, I didn't have that. And I remember how I often like just went to the bathroom and locked myself in there because it was the only room in the house where you could be alone. Mm. So yeah, that's to me is super, super important. And whenever I live with other people, which thankfully I don't now, <laughs> I would retreat into my own room like a lot, a lot. <laughs> mm. And really um, uh, what Danielle said about mental health, I mean, that for me is such a mental health issue. Like if I cannot retreat into a, a cave, I get so irritated and stressful and sick, really. I, it's, I can't stand it. <laughs> when I was in college, I, uh, for the first two years, I had a roommate and I did okay with it, considering how I do like to withdraw and have that space away. But the uh, last two years of college, I uh, had, they called a single room, right? Where I was by myself. And I think my parents were a little concerned, like, oh, are you going to be lonely? Are you going to, is this okay? And I loved it. I loved it. It was just fantastic. I, <laughs> it was really great. A lot of um, head nodding. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like decoration and stuff, it does matter to me. I'm an artist as well, Sarah. So I, uh, I'm actually really uh, picky about what I bring into my house. So I don't want, I don't want it just have stuff covered everywhere and decoration everywhere, which I think is also maybe a misunderstanding of fours that we just want to like all this lavish, like again, that kind of bohemian, like silks thrown everywhere, which may be, you know, for some people, but I definitely care more about the item itself. Is it, is it a beautiful, practical, handcrafted type of, I'd rather have one really beautiful thing, right? Than just a bunch of stuff everywhere. And um, at home, our walls are actually really bare and we've lived there for three years and I don't have any art hung up because I'm so picky about <laughs> it has to be the right piece. Something that I don't mind looking at every day and is, you know, evocative and that kind of thing. So mm. yeah. this was one of the things for me that when I was trying to figure out my type, several years ago and the need to be unique or the need to be special that I kept seeing like was not relating and then I heard somebody I think probably on this podcast on your uh, original panels but um, talking about home and and how things have to be just like that little bit different and that was the first thing that just totally drove home like okay I relate hard to that. And same thing that I will, I'll have a room that's not finished for way too long because if it's not right, like I can't stand it. And I would rather live in it unfinished than with something that I've committed to that isn't right. And then once it clicks, like once I find that one last piece, that's 
nothing trendy. It's just a little bit different. That's like my catchphrase. So I love it. It's a little bit different. And once I get that one piece or whatever and the room comes together, then it's done. But yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because it's not like gauche is not your thing. It's not like I want it to be the biggest, greatest standing out thing because it isn't for other people as much. So there's this sort of with the heart type and particularly the four, it's about your own kind of sense of is this what I like? And is does this really speak to me? Does this have story to it? Is this this like this interaction between you and that art piece? It sounds like speak to me is another thing I say all the time. If I find something in a store, I'm like, that spoke to me. I need to get that. <laughs> a jacket. Oh, that spoke to me. I need to get that. <laughs> Definitely. Like it needs to feel right beyond just looking right or matching or whatever. It has to feel like it belongs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that, that there has to be a, a story or a meaning to something and that it doesn't have to be fancy. Sometimes like things being fancy, quote unquote fancy, sort of that's not what's what's intriguing about them. I love that concept of wabi-sabi and art, like things having imperfection and that's what makes them beautiful. And But that sort of need for storytelling, that really makes sense to me. I find now that I have kids, it's really important for me to create ritual and to create meaning for them at holidays and stuff. Like it's not so much about about gifts or spending money, but I just, I want them to feel deep meaning and, and, and specialness. And, um, I want them to feel really seen. I think to me in, in terms of spaces to it, for me, it's really about like an authenticity of a place. Like I've sometimes my friends tease me cause like, I'm really drawn to the energy of big cities. And I also like camping in a tent with nothing, but it's like, I love places that feel like they have their own really particular, uh, magical energy to them, whether it's the bustle of a city or, or being out like in the middle of nowhere, seeing the stars, those kind of opportunities, I guess, really, really speak to me as a, as a person. Mm. I think you really nailed it when you said, uh, in talking about your kids and the holidays and the, it's this feeling, right. And that's what we all kind of touched on. Like when you go into your room or your home, it's, what is that feeling that it's giving you? And if that's right, then that's kind of the most important thing and very God, cliche yeah. for of us, I guess. It is so I know. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. This is fascinating to listen to how it's expressing itself through you and uh, the differently than the way it will express itself. But it's still that same, like you're expressing the core need, which is really nuanced in the four. It has to do with, space and beauty aesthetic you know the 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 feel the the, is it speaking to me does it feel right i mean there's a lot going on there and then for you the dimension happens to be more of the the spatial physical dimension a little bit more than say the the sexual four or the social four and so this is fascinating to listen to this i want to track that through all three and see how that is expressing itself dimensionally different slightly, you know, than, than the other four. So really good. Well, let's look at the neutral instinct. So this is the one that sort of comes in second for you. Um, which one is it for you and how do you use it? I mean, I wasn't sure at all. And I mean, before I did your um, test, I, I was very ambivalent, like we fourth tend to be and <laughs> about a lot of things. <laughs> but uh, sexual came out as the neutral one. And um, I do f- 
see like where I'm um, accessing that instinct. I mean, one thing that is always a little bit of a question for me is that because the self-preservation for is also often called dauntless or reckless and all these things which themselves don't sound very self-preservational, but do already sound a bit more in the domain of risk-taking. And I did that too and moved to many different countries and started new lives uh, without knowing anybody and without having savings and all that. And that doesn't sound very uh, self preservational but um i think for me it really was always this kind of really deep need to like feel authentic and if i don't feel authentic here then i just have to go elsewhere where i imagine <laughs> the authentic mm. life and um this is like a self-preservation need and maybe that it's not the sexual but that's somewhere where the line is a bit blurry for me you know what of the risky behavior where that goes but where I can see the sexual instinct is definitely that I broadcast. Like I do go into a room and I want the attention. I'm ambivalent about that too, but <laughs> uh, so I'm nervous and all that. And I get a red color in my face and all that. But I do want people to notice me and I'm, I somehow make sure they do. Uh, and they will. And I play with charm and kind of this kind of look here, uh, here, here am I uh, kind of energy. Um, so I definitely do that. Even like when it is in the kind of area, let's say, of mating, flirting and this kind of arena, I never make the first move. I think for fear of rejection, also very forish. Uh, but I can make other people chat me up. <laughs> like I can radiate this thing of come over and talk to me and, and they will. <laughs> so for me, that is sexual energy. And then also just like um, some, I mean, the deep conversations with uh, friends, like really diving into subjects. Um, also just the way I approach music. And if I go to a concert, this kind of merging with that and this like kind of intense connection, that's what I perceive to be uh, my sexual energy at play. Mm. I love your nuancing and even thinking through very openly, like, I'm, you know, not sure this could be this, this could be that, because this is where some of the mixture of the heart energy mixes with the tight or with the instinct and can sometimes be difficult to tell which one's which. And so, yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up. But yeah, I, I appreciate your interesting take on the self-preservation actually pushing you sometimes to do things that appear risky because it's, I'm not feeling safe in my environment. And that definitely could be the self-preservation just saying, I'm not feeling authentic here. This does not feel real to me. And for my own survival, I need to move. And so sometimes we talk about how, again, the instincts all really are symbiotic. They interplay with each other. But for the purposes of talking about this, we separate them out. But you can see how for you, yeah, the sexual will kind of go, hey, to protect you, let's move out of here. You know, you're not feeling authentic here. Let's go. We got to get out of here. I, I love that. And, um, and how you talked about even the, you know, the broadcasting aspect of the sexual instinct, um, which exactly how you described it would be the way it would play itself out. That feeling of not feeling authentic. And so it pushes you into the risk taking. Holy moly, does that connect for me? Sexual is also my second neutral instinct. And they're, um, I think, closely prioritized. I think I tap in frequently to that 
um, the one-to-one, the risk-taking, the adventure-seeking, the drive. I use a lot of that for my benefit, for sure. I love how it allows me to connect deeply to other people, which I think is part of the four being a heart type. That's, you know, what I, what I want and what I thrive on is connection to others. And so I think that one-to-one energy definitely serves that much more than my kind of repressed instinct, the social instinct, because I struggle in groups. So even though I love people as a heart type, I really gravitate more towards one-on-one exchanges than group participation. But yeah, I love depth of relationship. I have a hard time relating if things feel kind of too surfacey. It's really off-putting to me. And I would much rather the intensity of more of that kind of connected exchange between two people or two ideas. I may say more, but I just had to jump in and say, wow, how much those are so related when you're feeling, when that self-pres is kind of ticked by, I'm not feeling like myself here. I'm not feeling authentic here. So I'm going to look out and see where can I go. It's so interesting. Mm. The uh, one-to-one is my neutral as well. It's my second instinct. And um, I'd find that when I'm more unhealthy and really in that self-pres state of just focusing on, am I okay? Is everything okay? Like, you know, uh, that moving into the sexual and the, the social is really helpful in just getting you out of your head and that that self-focus that can really uh, cripple you and hold you back and get you really stuck, I think, if you're so kind of the ruminating. I think someone mentioned that before, the rumination and just kind of going over and over. And sometimes, like for me, that will look like maybe I'll like call a friend or go like just literally leaving the house and going out with somebody, which is not my preferred, like I like to stay home. I'm not the big party person going out, being amongst a bunch of people, but I do find that it can really help. And it feels good once I'm out with friends. And there's that interesting, uh, Hans, I thought it was interesting when you talked about wanting to be, wanting to get attention from the group, but then also getting the red face and getting like, kind of like you kind of, there's that push and pull going on. And uh, I definitely feel that as well with wanting to speak up and wanting to talk about stuff and wanting to engage with people, but at the whole time kind of like vibrating internally and like (laughs) being really like this whole process, like even doing this, I um, told Joel that when he reached out via email to me and I responded saying like, it's literally going against every fiber of my being to say yes to this and to, to come talk because I know that I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover afterward and regret everything that I said. And there's a lot of fear of being misunderstood in that, um, one-to-one realm Mm. as well as I guess the, the social. And so there's that risk that when you are engaging with people, they're going to misunderstand you. And Mm. that's really hard for me to get past. And whenever I do venture into that, like, which I guess is maybe then more talking about the social realm, I'm not sure, but say like on social media or something, um, like I don't like to talk about my personal things that I have going on, but I'll kind of like champion a cause, right? Like for other people, like certainly for 
say I, you know, referenced the miscarriage earlier, like during pregnancy loss awareness month, I'll like post about it, but not my own experiences. Right. I'll just talk about how important it is that we, you know, and when my friends now going through it, like I'm supporting them and texting them and trying to, you know, encourage them in that. But after doing that reaching out, I always experience this kind of, Oh, like this, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I worded it wrong. Maybe I, should just, you know, go back into my shell, back into my cave. Um, you know, I did my little venturing out for the week and now I feel exhausted. So, but at the same time, it's healthy. So I don't want to make it sound obviously like it's bad, but balance, right? Well, you bring up uh, something very important and that with the self-preservation is definitely stronger, which is why it's it's calling out to you to like protect yourself in this environment, even you know, as you're still wanting to have connection from the heart center with people and you can use the sexual instinct to kind of push yourself out there, there's still that protectiveness of the self-preservation saying, whoa, 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 you can get hurt here. And this is where you know, there's a lot of aspects of the self-preservation which counteracts the, the, the natural flow of the force. So that's why we, we have this sort of internal clash with the instinct and the type. But this is where it actually accentuates it because the withdrawing part is natural for force at times to withdraw, to pull back. And so the self-preservation says, yes, 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 keep doing that because it's safe. And so you can end up as a self-pressed for pulling way too far back and being alone. And what you're discovering and what you're saying is, I think, super helpful for a lot of folks to understand if they're self-preservation force is like the very act of moving out of your instinct actually sets you free from a lot of this sort of internal spin that can take place. Exactly. And that's true for all of us. It, whatever our normal tendency between our instincts, if you go to the one that you don't normally go to, even if it's your secondary, it can help shift you, can help you, you know, shake you up and out, get you out of the, your funk. You know, from my wife, she spots that in me and I'll say, hey, you know, my second is social as well. She'll say, oh, I'm sexual. So my second is social. So she'll say to me, like, go out, go out, hang out with people. If she sees me too much in a funk, she'll be like, just go out and hang out with a group. And the group takes me out of this stuck point that I'm in, which is interesting. So it's really remarkable. I'd like to see if that's true for other people, if they're discovering that as well. So, um, but I'd love to hear from you, Sarah, and uh, what your thoughts are on this as well. Yeah, this is so fascinating because I'm definitely, I'm learning so much today. I'm hearing so much that really makes sense to me. I think I also, the, the neutral instincts would be that one-to-one or sexual interest instincts because I'm very comfortable with risk and I enjoy taking risks to some degree. But I think to me, it's always in service of creating that larger sense of meaning or authenticity or following one's intuition. So um, I end up using this quote a lot in the work that I do. It's by John O'Donohue. And he says, beauty is the presence in which we feel more alive. And I think a lot of, Hmm. um, when I do move into taking risks, it's because I'm really interested in generating spaces that feel beautiful and, and great if I'm already in that, right? Like a campfire and stars at night. But if I'm not feeling that around me, I have such an instinct to want to conjure that and generate that and bring people into that feeling and space. So I'm feeling that. But what I'm really thinking about right now is that the social thing that my hesitancy with that, I love what you just said, Caitlin, about fear of being misunderstood, because I think when I'm in large groups, I feel then suddenly a lot of different energies really acutely, and I can't attend to each of them as deeply as I want. Like I want to have 
really deep conversations with people with subtlety and nuance and back and forth. And that can feel overwhelming in large groups. Um, The interesting thing about large groups, though, is I don't feel that if I'm giving a speech on a stage in a spotlight in front of an audience, because I think then the audience sort of becomes one entity that I'm having Mm -hmm. a conversation with. So oddly, there's a safety somewhere in there once it's a a big enough group that's its own thing. But yeah, just like a a mid-sized group is is hard to feel all those people's energies and and not be able to engage super deeply with each one of them. But I'm the same way. Like I am, I never really want to go out and go into social situations. And then I'm always really glad I did. And I have a great time mm-hmm. and I don't come home early, but it's just, it's, there's a hurdle to it that I have to somehow navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's well articulated. That's, that's going to be true. So all three of you or four of you rather all have this third instinct uh, as, uh, as the same, the social instinct. So, and you've already started to talk about what problems does it cause you? And how are you growing through it? How are you integrating it? So that's, uh, Sarah, if you want to continue on that, I mean, you, you're talking about this like social, that's hard, but when you do, something good happens. It's, I just have to learn it every time the hard way, like something in me always wants to hang back. And then, and then getting over that hurdle and just sharing is it's cathartic or it's fun or it's, I don't bomb at it the way I felt like I was going to or whatever it is, but it just is, it's not where I immediately want to go. So I have to trick myself into it sometimes, I think. Mm. I feel, I mean, when I looked at the first aspect of it, which, what was it, the reading and interpreting, I actually thought, oh, I think I'm actually pretty good at this, considering that this is my weakest uh, instinct. I don't know if kind of force tend to perceive a lot of nuance, I think, naturally um, anyway. But what I do notice is like the draining aspect of it. Like, I mean, if I come out of group contacts, it's really like somebody would have pulled a plug and like all the energy is gone. And um, I feel it has a lot to do like with my image fixation, like that I want to control how I am perceived by others, that I'm perceived as my true authentic me (laughs) and all that. And if it's if it's a group that becomes more and more difficult. Um, and then I come back to the self-preservation and when I'm with myself, then I don't need to project any image to anyone. I can just be in nature or at home and I can just relax all that. So other than that in travel, I mean, I am a social worker and a team leader and, um, I think, um, the way it has sometimes become problematic for me is, um, Again, it has to do with the self-image of the self-press that I'm always like, I don't need anything, I'm self-sufficient and that. And when other people, when I perceive them as very needy (laughs) or complaining a lot, that's the thing. I don't allow myself to complain, really. Um, My boss even always thought that I'm a nine, which is crazy to think that, but I'm so easy to work with because I just do the things, I don't complain. (laughs) And... um, I feel that sometimes as it is a blind spot for me, like my own needs and my limits and communicating that, that I think I can sometimes overlook like what is really needed for other people, that other people are struggling now, Mm. especially if the needs are not directed towards me. Then I immediately notice. But 
so I really see, especially work for me is like the total like playground where I'm always, my limits are pushed, where I'm always kind of drawn out of my comfort zone as a team leader, as a social worker. Like it's in many ways, the opposite of what feels comfortable to me. And I'm not in social work and I work with refugees and many people would think, oh, you are there because it's for the cause. You want to make the world a better place. And that sounds very nice, but it's not really true for me. For me, social work is an arena of self-expression is one. And then it's the one-to-one meaningful uh, encounters that I have. Like if I'm with one person and I can help that person, it's I'm all in it. (laughs) And it's a meaningful job. So I love that as a four. But I'm not so much about social, the social causes. It's not my first attention. Mm -hmm. I could work with any other group that as soon as there is existential need, then I feel alive. And then I feel I can also listen because normally I don't like to listen too much. I am with my attention more inward directed but if it there's a certain level of existential need and pain then i can become present then i feel i can listen and i can be there wow interesting this was easy for me to answer thinking about the problem it's caused because it's very obviously isolation because i just definitely tend to pull back from relationships quickly if something if that just first hint that i'm being perceived in a way that i don't want to be or understood in a way that i don't feel is true or correct then i'm just so quick to pull back and isolate myself from that particular relationship so and it takes work to nurture relationships outside of my primary daily close relationships but that's not a way that i enjoy living life either. So I would say this too, I mean, I've, the Enneagram really is what has kind of made all this, a lot of growth come full circle for me. So everything I say is, is really new in my life within the last just several years. But I try to think about in psychology and social work, I know like the term unconditional positive regard, I try to use that a lot and just kind of remind myself that in those social settings where I feel extremely insecure and extremely, you know, careful and uh, holding myself back because I'm worrying about what everybody else is thinking about me, just the growth for me has been that nothing is about me (laughs) and that everybody, everybody who's in a situation is, you know, perceiving the same thing from the lens of their own stuff. And the Enneagram 2 has helped with that. I mean, every type is going to perceive the same event according to what they see through the lens of their type and their fears and their core desires and what makes them them. So that's been my work recently is just like objectifying the experiences that I'm in and um, trying to separate a little bit and realize like just that simple, you know, it's not about me. This is I can have this experience with another person and just have the experience and not so much worry about how I'm being perceived in it. So that's the growth. That's what I'm trying to do more than more often than not. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think my closest friendships and a lot of the deepest meaning in my life has come from moments of really struggling and sort of being forced to ask people for help. It's not my natural instinct to want to burden people or ask them for help or, but that there's so much beauty and grace in in needing people and allowing them to help or letting them in more. But it's, 
I think for me, it's just remembering that, um, that there's a huge gift in things going not quote unquote as planned or as, I mean, I think when, when one really enjoys making meaning and story and poetry and, and the perfect word and the, you know, like that, that's beautiful, but it also can be, um, a bit of a trap to, to think that that's the only way to have meaningful encounters or exchanges. And, uh, so I'm trying to just embrace the mess more and, and remember that such incredible things can come out of the mess and, and, um, and things that I would not have predicted that are surprising and frankly, much more wonderful than what I could have planned with my own, with my own brain. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that comes to mind first is that draw of energy and, um, feeling exposed and that fear of being misunderstood. That's just such a big thing for me. Um, the fear that my words will be not misconstrued, but just miss the point entirely. And and certainly I've had that experience in like one-to-one relationships, like what you were saying, Danielle, where once you have that happen, it's really hard to want to even continue with that person because you've been just so misunderstood on what feels like a really deep level sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's for me, the biggest negative with the social stuff is putting yourself out there and engaging and then just having it go wrong and feeling like people aren't giving maybe the responses that I expected them to or that I want them to. Like I have maybe certain expectations of when I share things or open up about things, um, the way that I would like people to react. And then if they are being really surfacey or trivial, it just immediately makes me want to pull back. And, um, the complaining thing, Hans, that you were talking about when you, how it annoys you when, (laughs) when other people will complain. And, um, that is something that I also will sort of judge other people for because I don't, allow myself, uh, in a healthy way. Cause obviously, you know, if we were all complaining all the time, that's not great, but in a healthy way to express, you know, how you're feeling and what's really going on. And I think, so when I see other people doing that in a public way and getting support for it, um, especially that just for some reason really bothers me. If I see people sharing about something, maybe even somewhat trivial that has happened to them and they get all these like responses and maybe there's even like a GoFundMe and they're like, should not be, we've all seen like those things happen. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, and I'm sitting over here going, well, like, you know, it's definitely that whole social aspect of, giving people grace, giving myself grace and really realizing that, um, we truly all have these things that we're struggling with that are really, we all have these loads that we're bearing that we're walking around with. And, um, it is not unique to fours, right. And it's not unique to any of the other numbers. And so doing that work of trying to remind myself of that and, Mm. I think I left out when I said unconditional positive regard. It's like that idea that everybody's truly doing the best that they can with what they have. And like you said, so beautifully, Caitlin, like everybody has their, their thing and it isn't unique to one person and we're all just doing what we can. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Listen, you you may not realize just how good that is, but that really is the forward movement for you and for for fours. So this is perhaps consistent with a num- with fours across the board, but the forward movement for you as a self-pressed four with a neglected social is this movement towards can I accept people in, in the social sphere, can I accept people more as they are and trust that the way they present themselves, you know, it's, it's not a reflection necessarily on me, which is really hard, so hard it, for all of us, whatever that is that we struggle with as our type. It's, it's incredibly difficult to get past that. But the small movements that you're making, the way you articulated that, all, all four of you, that's the growth. And it's wonderful to see that in you. And, uh, and so to, to each of you, I just can't thank you enough for having opened up your heart, having expressed yourself. It doesn't it come easy for self-pres types in general. And then, you know, you, you've got the, the heart uh, that concerns itself with how it's being perceived. And so those play a factor in even saying yes to being on this podcast. And so a huge thanks for putting yourself out there the way you have. It will have helped, and I'm so sure of this, it'll help so many out there, self-pres fours out there and those who know them, understand what's happening inside the heart and the mind uh, and the body of the self-pressed force. So deep gratitude to each of you for this gift that you have given to us. Yeah, thank you so much. I know it's not easy to go there on so many of these topics, but the, the vulnerability and honesty you demonstrated will open other people to be able to be more honest and authentic in their own lives, um, to seek that meaning, to to draw on this energy that um, the four has that we all need to integrate into our lives. So thank you so much. We will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our four panelists. So I end each episode with a kind of a benediction because no matter what the panel is, there is an energy, a skill set, a gift that we want to integrate as we want to be a more integrated being and have access to the gifts of all of these types. And so I end with that so that we think about how we need to integrate that energy. But this week before I do that, I just want to remind you that you can take our free instincts test on our website, www.theartofgrowth.org, and you can reach out to us about coaching there as well. Make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss any of this content as it comes out. In this season, we are releasing three episodes a week. So this is a deep dive, and we appreciate you doing it with us and learning with us, really. Follow us on Instagram at Art of Growth. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, really helps out the algorithm that helps more people find this work. But for now, my friends, may you go into this week and may you own that self-preservation energy that reveals and guards your inner world. May you honor the inner space of emotion and tend to that garden well. May you know that there is work that is only yours to do and may you know that you are not alone in it. May you be aware of the truth of both of these because wisdom is not found in the binary but the paradox. And may you honor that space within yourself and others today. Grace and growth, my friends.